Welcome to another episode of Peers Over Beers, your favorite digital and social evangelist podcast with your industry veteran hosts, Chris Tetzel. This podcast starts now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Peers Over Beers. I'm Chris Detzel, and I'm not sure if she's a special guest. She is special, but she's been on uh, Peers Over Beers not too long ago, Nicole Saunders. How are hey, you, Chris. Nicole? I'm good. It's, it's Friday. I'm, I'm excited about another weekend here. Yeah, me too. And I was, I don't think I told you this, but here in Dallas, we are, uh, and I know you're used to the cold weather, but we've got sleet and snow and ice everywhere. And so we, we can't go anywhere, you know? Yeah. That's different for you all. They don't have yeah. the things in place to remove the snow there. <laughs> no. And, and you know, the, it, it's crazy because the night before last, it just started sleeting, got colder and colder and colder and sleeted through all throughout the night. And so that creates this kind of ice covered area. And then, then it started snowing. And so snow's on top of the ice and, you know, it's been, I don't know, I think it was 20 degrees today. And then tomorrow it's even cooler. Um, but then it gets warmer, I think tomorrow night. So we'll That's be out good. of it. Yeah. yeah. We're going to see it warm up here next week too. So. Wait, last time, um, something that I would like to expand on, and, and I thought it was very interesting, and I did a, uh, a little video thing clip of you saying it, or maybe it was a sound clip, soundbite, but of how we get heads. And I wanted to kind of dive into that a little bit with, you know, uh, you just hired three additional people last year, uh, and so you had a lot of experience in getting the heads, and, and then, you know, kind of the roles, responsibilities of those folks, and then... Um, you know, uh, what was the other piece? There's another piece to it, but I think, I think that's kind of good. You know, what, what do you think? Yeah, no, I think that sounds like a great topic. Great. Well, let's dive in. So, you know, one is the job market, I think is, is super hot. You know, and you mentioned this, uh, during our pre-show is that, you know, uh, you feel like, uh, companies are getting better at one coming up with better job descriptions. Cause in the past, you know, they need five years of experience and they just want to pay them $30,000 a year, you know? And, and so, right. but, uh, you know, I'd love to hear more about, I guess, kind of the roles that you guys have filled and then kind of, the, and, and kind of the special specialities of those roles within community. Um, and then, you know, we can go from there. Is that fair? Yeah, no, that sounds great. Um, so yeah, like you were saying, I, I think, you know, I remember five, seven years ago, a lot of the conversation in the community management industry was like about these roles that were sort of yeah. just like all encompassing, running forums, running social media, running events. And of course, community managers are always people that wear a lot of hats because communities mm -hmm. have a lot of different needs and a lot of different subgroups within them. Um, and as we've seen the industry start to grow, you know, you look at a lot of these industry reports and you're seeing companies are having bigger teams, they're getting more headcount, there's more levels of leadership. Um, and there's been this great thing that's been happening over the last couple of years where we're seeing more specialization of roles, yeah. where instead of just a community manager that does everything, you're getting things um, kind of like some of the roles that I've got on my team, where maybe you've got one person who just focuses on community content, somebody mm. that just focuses on operations or analytics, somebody who Ooh, just focuses that. on events. I will tell you what, operations and analytics, like, hire yourself a community operations manager and bonus points if they're really good with data, because it is so helpful to have somebody that can do mm. all of that, managing the day-to-day -day pieces, helping the processes run smoothly. 
once you can offboard that to a specific person who's really skilled in it and excited about it, as a community manager, it frees you up to do a lot more of that strategic work, the relationship building, that kind of thing. So I think we've seen that going really well. I'm, I'm starting to see that same sort of all the things trouble push into some of the more senior roles that are getting listed Mm -hmm. out there. And I, on the one hand, obviously when you're in senior leadership, you're going to pick up more, right? Your reach is going to be further. You're going to be more cross collaborative. Um, But I'm starting to see jobs where like a community head is merging or is taking on a lot of responsibilities that start to encompass like voice of customer, customer marketing. You and I were talking about advisory boards and taking on some of the executive roles. Um, We're also seeing things where like you're doing community management and customer education development, maybe putting together materials or customers. And I think it's really cool in the one hand, right? It's starting to create some Mm -hmm. lateral movement for community managers, some opportunity to community and have the opportunity to shift into some other places. But on the other hand, I'm a little concerned about seeing this trend of like a head of community and customer marketing slash customer (laughs) education role, right? Where you're looking at, you're like, wow, that's not just like a couple full-time jobs. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, and so my hope is that these companies are, are listing these roles with the idea that this person is leading multiple teams that are doing all of these things. Um, it's, but it's, it's an interesting direction that I'm, I'm seeing things go in. Yeah, it is interesting because I, I kind of look at um, when I was first starting to talk to Reltio, the company I'm at today, um, I was talking to, uh, I think she was a CMO at the time and she was like, hey, Chris, you know, I can give you the the executive board the community and the you know the the Gartner review thing you know and I'm like that sounds like a lot <laughs> you know what I mean like I'm not I mean I said well would I get a, a couple of heads for that and she's like no it would just be you and I was like really like I don't know that you can really do it. so I I do you want me to be successful you. with all of those things too? yeah because <laughs> <laughs> well and it's like you were saying just because it pays more just because it's more senior yeah. doesn't mean that you have more hours in your day and a lot of these things to go well have to you have to spend some time on them I think I I uh so um the things that I've been really good at and, and things I've done in the past and even to this day um is building communities from scratch and so I do believe that organizations want to see some, you know, growth and some success within, let's say, just a community itself before they start going off and hiring uh, uh, different uh, roles. You've probably seen that even in your, I mean, you've been at Zendesk for what, five years? Yeah. Well, that's part of what I was saying last time. You have to sort of show some value before you can go ask for the headcount. You can't just say, it's a non-starter until there's more people. So so that that part makes sense to me. Uh, You know, it is hard to me to, you know, like you, you said, Hey, the things that you have to do is, you know, Hey, I can do this, but I can double this, you know, if I get that head count, even, or I can add this program or expand this piece. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that, that does make sense, but it's still hard, you know, like Mm -hmm. trying to get, and you have to do it early in the process, you know? Um, And I think that, you know, that's, so, so like even I've been told, hey, Chris, you know, you're going to get a head count, you know, in August. And I'm thinking that seems like a long time from now, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. you know, why not now? You know, I can, you know, but they have to prioritize and, and you have to kind of push, push that, you know, if, that, if I'm going to get that. Um, so one, one thing that does interest me is kind of this, you know, jack of all trades of community leaders. Um, you know, like you said, you have an operations analytics person, you have an engagement person, you have an events person or uh, an events person. And then, 
What'd you say? What else? Uh, I also have two like community managers, the people that are like, yeah. in the community day to day running stuff. And then I have one person to run user programs. So he oversees like user groups or super user recognitions, all of that kind of stuff. So all of the things that are bringing the members of the community together outside of the forum or yeah. some of it's honestly in the forum too, but the sort of user specific pieces. So if, if you were to kind of look back and think, you know, did you hire not the right people? Obviously, you're hiring the right people, but oh yeah, you know the the role specific. If you were to say, hey, if if I were to do it over again, which role would you hire for the first? Time? I mean, for, for your needs. Yeah, you know, what, I think you have to start with like knowing who's going to be that person that's on the ground day to day, right? Your community yeah. manager, and if you're a leader where you're going to hire somebody to do that so that you can move into a more of a strategic position, that's got to be one of your first ones, and they're probably okay. also still going to be a jack of all trades. Um, <laughs> right. Well, and I mean, honestly, you know, if you think about the people that are attracted to community management jobs, it tends to be people that mm-hmm. like the dynamic kind of position where you do get to have your hands in a lot of different yeah. places. Um, so I think, you know, that's a key one. Um, I cannot tell you how helpful that operations manager has been. That's just taken a huge load off of us, you know, whether it's managing a tech stack or helping with project management or mm-hmm. working with the day-to-day processes, it just sounds wonderful, actually. It's it's really awesome, especially if you can find somebody that can do, like has a little bit of interest in the data side of it as well. Yep. So the yep. one on my team actually does both operations and analytics. And so she's like 50-50, you know, half putting together it. dashboards and helping us with analysis and half doing like project and process management. And it's great. And she just really like, she kind of is the connective tissue of the team. She knows what everybody does and is sort mm. of dealing with all of those inputs and that kind of thing. Um, the one role that I wish I had hired earlier um, that we've all sort of been sharing and I fill in a lot is a content manager. Mm. Somebody to really think about like, what is the right content? You know, the community managers do a lot of that, but they're yeah. also dealing with a lot of the day-to-day like moderation and making sure questions are getting answered, making sure feedback's getting responded to and all of that kind of thing. Um, so that's that's the one role that I kind of wish I'd, I'd yeah. prioritized sooner. Um, because content, like if you don't have good content in your community, what, why are people showing up? I feel like I can dive so much, so much into, uh, you know, one particular area, like we could mm-hmm. probably spend a whole episode on content or a whole episode on reporting and, uh, operations and things like that. Absolutely. Because as I think about, I'm having to do all of that. So when I think mm-hmm. of, you know, all the things that I want to do with the community, like connecting different business systems, doing enterprise search things that we don't have today, you know, but we are looking at and the business is starting to move and something I kind of help push. I think, I, I think I'd have, but uh, is like this kind of great customer experience that, you know, um, customers can come to whether it's documentation or getting support or, you know, the community, they can find the information that they are looking for wherever they are, right. Through in a sense of enterprise search. So that's one thing that we're looking at. And so then there comes to the reporting piece of, well, what does enterprise search do? Well, one, it gives the customer's experience, you know, the customer experience, you give customers a better experience. And then two, it gives you some data around potential case deflection and other things like that, right? You know, and so, and then that's one data. And then there's lots of other data within the community that people want to see. And there's a high level dashboard. And then you go even deeper into the other stuff that, that you want, that probably not going to show executives and things like that. There's so much there that, you know, somebody can do that I just I'm sitting there at the end of the month and I'm like I spent an entire day just trying to push data you know what I mean and I'm like oh my oh, god totally. 
<laughs> well, and especially like you think about, you know, so much of the promise of community is all yeah. of the insights that you can get yeah. on like what's important to your customers. What do they have questions about? How are they doing things? Finding what are they those interested stories. in? Yeah. And like, if you don't have somebody who's spending most of their time going through what's happening in the community and analyzing it and looking at, you know, how these piece, different pieces interact, it's really hard to fulfill that. And at the same time, most teams don't have a dedicated community analyst or someone that can devote that time. And so it's us as leaders are putting on our data hat. Um, yeah. And I've, I've always considered myself a data-driven community manager. I used to hang out with the data scientists all the time and have them tell me how they got to conclusions and how they're interpreting data so that I could learn from that, which by the way, I highly recommend if, if you have a data scientist at your company and you haven't tapped them, like go tap, hang out yeah. with them one day because you can learn so, so much. Um, or at but least yeah, some of those smart really folks, trick. Nicole, like, you know, I think the other piece of being a jack of all trades is knowing that you can't do everything. Right. And, you know, like there's, so for the data stuff, there's uh, one person that I go to that can help either connect something, you know, to maybe it's Google Data Studio, or, you know, he can help me kind of, you know, there's this other lady that can help me kind of do some really nice, beautiful graphs. So if you're doing stuff in Google Sheets, you know, she can help me kind of clean that up and push that in, you know, I'm learning as along the way, you know, but, um, and so if you figure out those people to go to and, and on that operational piece, if you are only a, a one person team, you know, that's the key. You, you can't do everything yourself. And so you have to try to, you know, maneuver around the organization. Like you said, Hey, if you can find a data scientist or if you can find some of those people and it's the same thing with content, right? Like, you know, I can make it as easy as possible to write a blog by sending it to a third party, you know, to get it written and then have them kind of look at it and clean it up, you know, but you know, at the end of the day, it's still that other person within the organization doing the blog or doing a webinar or doing something that you've got to push and, and make it exciting for them. If you don't make it exciting to them at the end of the day in the organization, then they're probably not going to do it, you know, and you got to make it as easy as possible. You know, that's, that's how I do it for now. But um, well, and I think that's a great point, like tapping those other resources in your company, because the reality is like, you don't need to build separate teams within yeah. your team, right? If there's already a team that does something, how can you lean on them? And that does a couple of things, you know, one community team should always be super integrated and super cross collaborative mm -hmm. with the business. And so you want to be building those relationships and leaning into that. But even at Zendesk, you know, I've got a pretty decent sized community team. Yeah. Um, but I still like to say, you know, there's there's seven full-time professionals and then there's 150 people across the company that actually help support the community, whether it's the support yeah. agents that come in or the product managers that talk or the data teams that help us out or the developer support folks that come and answer those questions. There's a lot more people that are required to really make that go. And, you know, one of the things that you and I were kind of talking about in the pre-show was like, why is it important to have a team or mm -hmm. to augment your team with all of these networks? And it's because, uh, you know, we all got to take vacations. Um, if there's one thing we've all learned in the last year, you never know when someone's going to get really sick or have some yes. life thing come up. And it can be really hard if you're a team of one or a very slim team. You need that deeper bench. You need people that can, you know, keep it going. Because, like, just because your community manages that doesn't mean your community gets to just, like, turn off. Your users are still there asking for stuff. There's still activity That's going right. on. And how do you cover that? And, and you know, how does a company cover that when they have a very small team managing those pieces? And, and thanks for bringing this back around because I yeah. forgot about that. But, uh, you know, and, and as you mentioned, you hired three new people, you know, at the 
uh, middle of last year. And then you had a yep. big event in August, which those people were extremely new and you decided to finally go on vacation and, you know, you're stressed out because, you know, uh, you had new people, you uh, were doing this new event and everything else. And so that's gotta be hard. Yeah. I mean, it was, that was the other crazy thing is like, you're sitting there being like, all right, I'm getting three whole new people. Like, how am I going to fill their time? And in like two weeks, you're like, we need more headcount. Like, <laughs> it's amazing how community works. Like, there's always so much more you can do. It's like a. It's ridiculous. Bottomless piss, pit sounds dark because what I really mean is like, you know, there's infinite possibility. <laughs> it's a good thing. Um, but yeah, it was an interesting challenge. And, you know, that was true. I, I hadn't gotten to take time off in a year. And mm -hmm. I really needed a vacation. I got my new people onboarded and our event was coming up in a couple months. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go. I went on a backpacking trip, like off the grid. Mm -hmm. Nobody could get hold of me for two weeks. And it was great. And everyone supported me in doing it. And everybody thought it was really important. But I also still saw how that threw things off. And I was like, even with my mm -hmm. bigger team, even with, um, you know, having all of these pieces in place, it's always going to be impactful. And so it gave me a lot of time to think about you know, how can you, how can I better train my team? How can I better set things up so that it is easier to step away? Because it is so important for all of us, right? Work-life yeah. balance is huge. It's hard. It's especially hard for community managers. We know that we take an extra mental and emotional toll because we're so often dealing with people that are having a problem or asking questions. Yeah. I mean, they're coming to the community because they need something from us. And so with community managers, it's so important that you you build out those partnerships internally, it's, you build that team and you have the ability to take a step away on occasion. And, and I would assume, you know, since your team grew so fast, just in one day, basically, or a month, you know, oh, it was, uh, they all started on the same day. It literally, <laughs> my team doubled in like one week once we got them hired. And, and that, that had to be a huge learning curve. And to me, that would be like, mm -hmm. oh, crap, I got a lot to learn myself, you know, of maybe even being a leader, you know, to these folks, you know, and, and then, yeah you know, how much before you could give all your time or, so, you know, more of your time probably to these two other people or three that you had. Now you have two or three others that you have to give your time to yep. and, and that kind of stuff. So, you know, that's, I guess that's why they have different layers of management because <laughs> you can't do that to everybody at some point. Totally. You know? And, but, you know, one thing I learned in that is I thought it would be really great to start those people as a cohort. And I think it was <laughs> from a perspective of like, all of them being new, all of them being new and fully remote and never having yeah. met anyone, mm -hmm. it was really good for them to bond. Looking back, it would probably have been better to hire one, get them onboarded, mm -hmm. hire the next one and have it be more rolling. So I didn't have three people that were all brand new at the exact same time. And that there's a little bit more easing into it, but you yeah. know, you see these things in hindsight and the reality is you take headcount when you get it. And yeah. sometimes I was about you get to say, all like, of them the same week or the same quarter and you just go with it. So. I was about to say, like, if you were to say, well, let me do this rolling thing, you might actually lose one. So you, you gotta kind of, yeah, you never know. You gotta think about that, I think. Um, but I think you're right. Um, you know, you, you mentioned that you have a couple of events coming up. Are those going to be face to face or virtual or how does the, how does that work? Well, uh, we're still planning on doing virtual at this point in time. Okay. Um, we actually did a big survey and sort of asked <laughs> our, our user base, like, do you want to come hang out in person? Do you want to still be virtual? And, and sort of what we've been hearing from people is they like the idea, like they miss yeah. being in person and everybody in the world has Zoom fatigue. Like nobody wants to do any more virtual events, mm -hmm. but also people are not really ready to travel and gather in person quite yet. It seems like, um, yeah. And, you know, for our community, I think our community event, we kicked it off 
in a virtual space. And that one will probably always be virtual because we're a global community, you know, yeah. um, I, I would love to like have local meetups where people can meet the other users in their immediate area when it is safe to breathe the same air as other people again. Um, <laughs> but we're, we're really looking at a primarily a virtual model. Now, don't quote me on that. That could change. You know, it's been a yeah, really changing situation for years here, but um, that's the plan right now is to keep our stuff mostly virtual. So we, um, we're kind of toying around with some kind of event by the end of the year, uh, probably going to be more virtual than, than not, but we are on our uh, uh, advisory board. Um, we are going to do an onsite meeting here in March. So, uh, and, you know, out of the 18 or 19 people that are on it, I think we'll have about 10 people that will be there on site. Um, so that's, that's interesting to me. So maybe at that executive level, it might be a little bit different. You know, well, but, and I think it is different when you're talking about smaller groups versus, you yeah. know, hey, do you want to get yeah. together with 3,000 people. people from around the world? Like, <laughs> Thousands of people, yeah. Heck no, not right that's now. Yeah, and that's a good point. So, you know, with COVID still running crazy, you know, I, I think maybe we'll get there at six or eight, six months from now, we can start thinking about having those, you know, on-site events and things like that. So out of curiosity, do you guys use uh, a specific technology to run those events because I'm kind of interested in that. <laughs> We've been experimenting with a couple of different ones. Um, we use Bevy for our regular events, our smaller ones. Um, okay. We use a platform called Welcome for our big community day event this year. Um, and, and like that, um, other tools that we've used in the past and may use in the future are on 24. Um, we recently onboarded Hopin. So I'm really excited to start experimenting with that one. Um, I've, I've played with Hopin before. Yeah, yeah. I, I went to a, a CMX event in Hopin a while back and I, I thought it was really cool. So, you know, it's interesting because each of them offer a little bit different analytics, a little bit different experience, yeah. you know, different things with the chat and stuff like that. Um, to me, what's important is just that it's easy to use and it's reliable. And I, will, I will take, well, any tool, right? If yeah. I'm looking at any tool and I'm trying to evaluate which one to use, it's got to be easy to use, it's got to be reliable. Um, and then the bells and whistles kind of go from there, but yeah, we haven't, I haven't tried hop in yet with running an event in it. So we're excited okay. to see how that goes. Yeah. Cause Bevy really isn't uh, it's an event thing, but it's more for like, uh, user group type stuff, people kind of having their own events and, and that, is that right? Or that's what it was just... purpose built for. And we, we kind of took it in a different direction and said, we're hmm. going to use it at least initially we decided to use it for other virtual events and we, we found it works pretty effectively for that too. They're, okay. and they're building out a broader like event platform for more like conference type events. Um, hmm. But as we move into doing user groups, we're starting to think about, okay, how are we going to use Bevy and what other things are we going to use and how's that all going to fit together? You guys have a lot of tools that you use. Yeah. I I part of it is we have a really close relationship with our global events team. And so we get access mm -hmm. to the tech stack that that, that team Got uses. It. Got it. That's um, pretty cool. So like we don't it. have to do all of those just ourselves. And that's a great example of kind of what you're talking about as far as like augmenting your team with what are other groups in the organization doing and how can you partner with them? Like even as far as our events go, we've been doing a big evaluation lately of what events we're running and what events other teams are running and mm. sort of saying like, are there places we can combine forces? Do we really need like three different teams running different kinds of webinars? <laughs> In some cases, yes, right? If this one's geared towards new business and this one's geared towards current customers, yeah. that makes sense. But in some cases, it's a really subtle thing of what the difference is. And so we're starting to look at how can we do more to combine forces and maybe support other people's events and promote them, but not have to run 
a whole separate set just ourselves or of the ones mm -hmm. we're going to run which ones make strategically the most sense to be like this is specific to the community team versus a success team or yeah. customer education team or something it is funny because as you kind of as you kind of talk and, and you guys are a pretty big company but also uh have lots of users you know you, you've kind of scaled your community in a big way i mean even as a smaller company for us with smaller community um we have some of the same problems right like you know we're now hiring a customer marketing person we have a, a field marketing person i'm in marketing now just moved and so you know we're doing i mean some of that stuff you know that they're doing for you know field marketing and maybe customer mar or field marketing specific is for new business and that kind of stuff and trying to find you know uh those leads but you know some some of the technologies they use could be the same technology i use or you know when we get that customer marketing person in you know they're gonna uh there's definitely huge opportunity for community and that person to work together you know yeah. just to expand kind of the relationships but to expand the pipeline you know for existing you know uh revenue and all that kind of stuff you know so and it's it's interesting because it's always this balancing act right of how do i contribute to what other teams in the organization yeah. are doing how do i connect with them and sort of build up my team sort of support through all these other groups but also it's, then what are the boundaries because it's really easy to start so to flip into like absorbing mm -hmm. all of these other things and like customer marketing is a great example where we've been having a lot of conversations specifically about like a customer advocacy program, mm -hmm. right? And that's typically very clearly customer marketing, but for us, we feel like it has a lot of overlap with our community and the way that Absolutely. we're interacting. And so there's been this big debate of like, how do we co-manage this program so that, you know, where maybe ownership sits in one place, but it feels like a very, very collaborative kind of thing. And I, it's, it's interesting because I feel like it is so much more clear when you're just like, oh, this thing belongs to this team and they yeah. own the strategy and that's that. But in community, oftentimes we're really trying to be stakeholders in and contributors to a lot of different functions throughout the company. So we've really been having a lot of talks on our team about what is in our scope, what isn't, what makes sense for us to support, what doesn't, what do we need to do separately from other teams, where can we just promote other teams' things? Yeah. Um, and it's really important clarity to get, and and that's tricky. It gets to be a lot, and I think. You know, this, this relates to the headcount. Yeah. yeah, I think this relates to exactly totally. what you're saying because now you're going through um, kind of this this uh, thinking of, okay, well, this is the responsibilities of my team, but they sort of bleed into this thing over here. Like customer advocacy is, you know, a, a big piece. I I believe wholeheartedly that the community stuff can easily funnel into an advocacy pro program, you know, and then. You know what a super user means you know that all that stuff and, and language is you know it's a little different and you know is there a difference between super user and advocacy pro yeah there is but exactly you know, um but but that's hard to kind of communicate so you know uh having all those people you know doesn't mean it's easier it, it actually probably is a little bit harder to kind of but i think i think that um it's a good thing because now you're blending the organization more so yep. doing what communities should be doing anyways and that's what community does both externally but internally you know and and so you're bringing a bunch of people together to do some cool shit together you know what i mean like that's what i think um yeah. at the end of the day i mean i i, I like it that you're sort of struggling with that i think we all do but i like it that yeah. you're going through that because eventually hopefully 
you can kind of make the teams tighter and, and better and working together, you know, so. Well, um, I think it's good on both sides because we're getting a lot of clarity about like, okay, mm-hmm. this is your charter. This is our charter. This is where they intersect and this is where they don't. And oftentimes I think we're scared to say where we don't intersect or where we don't support mm-hmm. things, That's especially like, you know, I'm thinking back to the last year of what I've been doing at Zendesk and how we moved our team from support over to marketing. And then we really grew our team. And I spent a lot of last year kind of shopping us around internally and saying, here's how we can help you. And here's how we can help you. And here's the value we can bring. And we got everybody on board so much so that we're getting way too many requests and like, we can't (laughs) support everything. And so it was really funny. It was like, we you know, the pendulum swung one way and we went out and said, Hey guys, we want to help everybody. We can contribute to every team in the company. <laughs> and we got their attention and now we're like, okay, not, not like everybody, everybody. We can <laughs> we're just doing stuff. <laughs> and so, but it's good because it is sparking clarifying conversations with a lot of different teams yeah. and helping everyone understand that, you know, communities are just, it's a little bit different animal than a lot of other business organizations where like you can very clearly delineate, you know, this yeah. is what the sales team yep. do. This is what the engineers do. And this is their charter. And in community, it's like, we kind of touch all of these things. And so we're yeah. having to reevaluate, like, what is that scope? And it is so true that you get more headcount and that creates more bandwidth and you can do more things, but that also ups the complexity. And so that kind of comes back yeah. to that idea of how, once you expand, you do need to have some specialization for people. And it puts those of us in, in the leadership roles in the community, you know, you're still wearing all of the hats. You just get mm-hmm. to delegate a lot of the pieces of those things things to individuals, right? When I think you mentioned this last time is, you know, it's so important to, you know, teach up your your community managers to one, like you said, build roadmaps so that, you know, they one communicate it to you and you're like, oh, okay, that's good. And then, you know, you can roll that up to kind of the executives, you know, at the end of the day, it's really a big, well, one of many of your goals, but is, is a big part of your goal is to continue to get that buy-in and it sounds like you've done really well but you know I, I think that you know one teaching them how to do that kind of I still kind of go back and think it's a huge awesome exercise that you're doing with the, with those folks and you know when, when is that when does that do and 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 were you excited to see it or will you be excited to see those roadmaps yeah so uh they all did their presentations last week and it was great because oh, we all got to practice good. like presenting in front of each other and answering questions and one person, like right at the end, we had like two minutes left in the hour. And he was like, oh, by the way, here's this format that I use for my OKRs. That's really cool. And everybody's like, it was like a record scratch. <laughs> everybody's like, wait a minute. What? I want that. I want to use that. And so we agreed we're all going to go back and take that format and that process See? and sort of get some more specificity around some of those OKRs and those metrics mm-hmm. and things. And uh, we're actually going to roll that out more broadly to some of the other teams and marketing as well. And so... It was really cool to see that kind of bubble up from one person and, and, and expand out, but yeah, helping people level up is key too. You know, we were talking mm-hmm. about, um, how, how does a leader take a vacation? How do you take a break? And it means that you have to level your people up so that they yeah. can actually fill in for you. Um, and we could probably do a whole episode just about that. But one of the things I've been doing in that space is trying to give people a lot more opportunity to get their hands on things. Um, so one of my things is I try to never go to a meeting alone. I always bring somebody from my team with me so that one, I'm not the only person that knows about the conversation. Yeah. Um, so that if I'm out, somebody else can jump in and carry it. But more importantly, it's giving them exposure to those meetings and those conversations. It's really hard to learn how to level up without kind of being along for the ride and seeing, right. seeing how it all works. 
And so that's one of my rules is I, I try to never have meetings alone. Or if I do, I try to always report back to my team. Hey guys, I just had this conversation. Here's what's going on. You know, here are the possible things that you'll want to pick up from it, that kind of thing. Um, so that's just one piece, but yeah, it's, it's important. Otherwise people can't step in and, and you always want to be building your team and growing because that's going to continue to increase your team's capability as well. So, I love that. So I'll give a story here real quick about, you know, uh, leveling up. Yeah. Uh, when I was at Rexel, uh, Michael Sandoval was my boss, you know, back then. And then uh, one of the things I was always scared of, and, and like, I'm not scared to get in front of people, never was, but, you know, big crowds and, and big crowds that know more than I do about their products and things like that. You know, it's, it's a little overwhelming, or it could be at the time. And so I was just wasn't confident in speaking to this, you know, crowd of 100 people. You know, so mm. anyway, we went to Canada and he goes, hey, Chris, you know, you've got the speaking part, you know, you need to really make sure you do it. And, and he knew, you know, I was really nervous and everything else. I have a very outgoing personality, but for whatever reason, I was like, oh, my God, you know, because, um, you know, your content, you know, the stuff, you know, we've done it together. And so he wrote me a note right before he goes, hey, Chris, you're going to do really well and, uh, you know, you're going to kill it. And, and so he goes, just breathe and blah, 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 wrote me this nice little note. I think I posted it on LinkedIn a long time ago. And, you know, I went up there and I killed it. I did awesome, you know, because one, I knew the content. He, sh he helped me kind of get through it, you know, and then two is, you know, a good leader does that kind of stuff is get you in front of sit in situations that, you know, pushes you a little bit, you know, yeah. it's okay for you to push and, and make somebody feel uncomfortable a little, not just presenting, but, you know, let them stew over something for a day, you know, and then say, hey, look, I, I see that you're, you know, take a breath. Let's go over this. Let's get on the whiteboard or let's get on, you know, whatever and go through this and work together with that kind of stuff. Because sometimes they have to think for themselves. I mean, that's what Michael did for me as a leader. And I, and I think it sounds like you're doing some of that for, you know, uh, folks under you. So I, I love it. I think it's super I important. I love that story. Thank you so much for sharing that. Cause I think that, like he said, there's two parts to it. You know, one is pushing people and teaching them and giving them the opportunities, but then the other part is helping them build the confidence yeah. that they really can do it. And most of us are, have more expertise than we give ourselves credit for. Um, and right. it's so important to have leadership that encourages you and supports you and makes you feel confident and also makes you feel like they've got your back. Um, and so I, I definitely try to, you know, you got to balance that sort of like pushing people out of the nest, but then like letting them know that if they start to flail, you'll, you'll still be there to catch them. And, yeah. and honestly, you know, also giving them the confidence, like, but you won't, you'll be fine. You'll think, get out there you know, and you'll flap your wings and it'll be good. <laughs> you know, you, you're going to know your, your folks more than anybody else in the organization and you're going to know their strengths and weaknesses. And if you can kind of push on that as a leader, you know, uh, you'll be better for it, but then they'll be better for it. So for me, it was, he knew I knew my stuff. It's not like I didn't do my homework or I didn't do any of these, you know, it's not like I'm a lazy at, you know, right. it wasn't that it just, he knew that I was scared a little bit, but you know, he's like, dude, this is your shit. You know, you go off and kind of present in front of these people. And, and there's other times where he did some of that, right. You know, again, let me stew for 24 hours and see me struggle. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. You know, like, and then he's okay, let's get on the whiteboard, you know, so you just got to know what that is, you know, and you've got to be as a leader, sometimes you probably get impatient and everything else. We're all impatient. And, you know, but I think that's key at the end of the day is just to, 
you know, push them a little bit, know when they're, they're in or out of their comfort zone and, and then go from there. You know, that's, that's the only way people are going to learn, you know? Absolutely. And I, I definitely recognize like that was when I first became a manager, one of the hardest things was giving the people <laughs> time to learn stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. And being like, well, I could just go do it in a day, Yeah. Mm-hmm. but being like, but me just going and doing it then I'm still going to have to keep doing it every time. And if I need other people to learn how to do these things and contribute to it, it's really important to give them the time to do it and to be patient and let them, let them kind of go through the struggle of it because that's how they're going to figure it out. And it's not that you're not there to support them. It's not that you're not there to help them, but sometimes you do have to just give people that space. And it's not like everything has to be done urgently. Um, I had a manager once that told me, you gotta let let other people put their egg in it. And I was like, Mm -hmm. what? the heck does that mean? And he's like, you know, like, if you're like having a potluck and you're like making chili, like you gotta let everybody like put their ingredients in. You can't just like only put your ingredients in; it won't be good. And hmm. thinking of that, like Jack of all trades, you know, community managers are so good oftentimes at being that one person that like holds all of this stuff together. Yeah. Sometimes it can feel threatening to let other people come contribute and come be part of it. But the honest truth is that nobody is successful alone. No, no success in business or in large communities or things like that happened because one person did everything amazingly. It always happens as part of a team effort. And so it's so funny because that, that constantly resonates with me. Like, gotta gotta give other people a chance to come participate and come do it. And, and, you know, even with my team members and, and when people are learning things, they might do it differently than I would. And it might be a different process that takes a different amount of time, but they also might do it a little bit better, or I might learn something from it. We can combine both of our ways of doing something and doing it better. Um, So, you know, leadership is a two-way street. I learn from them as much as they learn from me. (laughs) Yeah. I I, I love that. and Love the the story there. I I think, you know, the the one thing that uh, resonates with me is I remember Michael would say, Hey, look, we need to get more users and, you know, we need to come up with strategy to do that. And, and I, I was like, okay, here are all the things we can do. And I name all these tactics. He's like, all right. You know, <laughs> he knew that Chris, he didn't say this yet, you know, but he, he knew that I had to come up with what does that strategy look like? And then let's build a roadmap to do it. And not, not to say you have to go do all these things just in one quarter, you know what I mean? And so, but he was like, all right, well, go try that, you know, see, let, let me know. And, and then, so I'd go try some things and he goes, uh, and what, sometimes some things would work. Go, That's good. But, you know, and then I would go, okay, I gotta go do this. I gotta go do this. He goes, okay, hold on. You know, and then he would kind of be pay- very patient with me and then say, Hey, look, we need to kind of do, you know, have some focus in Q1, have some focus in Q2. We can't do those things. Let's move that over here. And so, you know, him kind of walking me through that and helping me, help me to understand kind of, look, you can go do all these things. You're probably not going to be sex, successful at them all, you know? And, and so let's, let's kind of think through each one as we kind of go through. So I think that's, that is so important as a leader um, to do some of that. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's guiding, it's teaching, and then it's sitting back and letting people kind of bring their own piece to it. Absolutely. Well, Nicole, it's been great. It's been 30, 40 minutes. We've been talking about uh, already. <laughs> I feel like yeah. I just got started. <laughs> <laughs> but really, thank you so much for coming on again. We'll have you again uh, in the next week or two. I can't remember. But uh, uh, thank you for another Peers Over Beers. My name is Chris Detzel. And Nicole, thank you so much for coming. Thank you, Chris. Having had a great time talking to you today. Me too. <laughs>